welcome to the online ministry of the sermons at Coastal Community Church. And we are so grateful you took time to, to watch the sermon. One of the things that uh, we have a deep conviction of here at Coastal Community Church is that this online sermon that you're downloading or streaming is, is, a, is a supplement to your spiritual growth. And we, we think it's real important that you're a part of a local church. So uh, even as you watch this sermon, and I hope it encourages you and challenges you, uh, I hope that you'll find a local church. Uh, if you live in the Hampton Roads area, I hope that you'll consider checking out Coastal Community Church. We have three services on Sunday morning, uh, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And uh, so we'd love for you, for you to join us at one of those services. I do want to introduce our new sermon series uh, that we're doing. We're taking some time going through 1 Timothy. We entitled the series Guarding the Gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, mentors a young pastor, Timothy, uh, and he talks to him about how to establish a church so that the gospel of Christ can be guarded in a sense that it's pure uh, and kept true and so that it can be um, brought to a lost and dying world. So I hope you'll enjoy this series through Timothy, Guarding the Gospel. Morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, so do me a favor. We're going to jump in this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor. Take that one with you. Okay, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 5. Uh, we're going to look back at, we're going to look at verse 17. Uh, this is where we're going to start this morning. And um, there's a handout in your bulletin. And uh, get that out and follow along with me. It's an important message this morning, actually. A um, little bit tedious. I know the kids are in here with us this morning, okay? So uh, uh, if, if, you know, they get restless, just get up, do what you got to do, okay? And, and I'm not offended by that at all. Just do what you got to do, okay? But this is an important message. Um, and the Apostle Paul actually kind of doubles back around to the, to the importance of elders and pastors and and, 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 and what we can expect from them, okay? And uh, this past week, it, it came to light uh, that 400 church leaders, meaning pastors, church staff, elders, and deacons' emails were exposed on the internet hack of Ashley Madison. If you're sitting here and you go, I don't know what that is, probably good, okay? Uh, if you don't know, just talk to me afterwards or something, all right? But... The problem with the church in America is the leaders of the church are not taking holiness and righteousness quite seriously enough. It's the biggest, I think it's the biggest problem. Followed maybe in conjunction with a, a bad understanding of who Jesus is and the gospel of Christ. And this morning is important to me. There's nothing that makes my heart sicker than, than moral failure in the church. From its leadership. God's given us a, a strategy for leadership. In fact, I would venture to say that leadership really is not a title, it's influence. So because of that, everybody in this room has some forms of leadership. We, we all influence others in some measure or some form. And, and influence is a gift from the Lord. And as we're going to see in a little bit, it's a sacred trust. My hope is that all of us in this room will steward our leadership and our influence well for the glory of God, for the, for the, and to lift up the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Now, if you happen to be in some form of leadership in your local church, I want to remind you that the church is not some institution out there that's kind of that thing out there. The word picture, that one of the word pictures that the New Testament gives us for the church is it's the bride of Christ. 
his precious bride, warts, <coughs> foibles, and all. God thinks highly of his church. And if you're in some role of leadership, you need to love deeply the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for me, and I've wrestled with this letter, man. I, I, you know, the, the, it's a preaching, it's a teaching letter, okay? It's not a preaching letter. I always say a preaching is, is kind of where it directs us to God and our hearts respond to God. But teaching is the idea of being a bulwark to the truth. And so, you know, I feel like in some senses we've been kind of going, you know, going through the trenches with this letter. And there's been a couple of weeks where I've wanted to quit and, you know, do something that's a little more happy, clappy. But, you know, I've realized that, like, God is moving us as a church. I believe he's going to expand our, our influence and our footprint to, in the community. Praise to God and the, and the lift up Christ. And so because of that, man, we got to know who we are and how we're organized and, and where we stand. And so I've continued with this series for three important reasons. Number one, my job as a pastor is to teach the whole counsel of God, Acts chapter 20. And this is one of these passages, one of these letters we needed to look at. I've been thinking about where we're going to go as a church and where we're heading. And I wanted to equip you as attenders and as members, as, as God sends us new people, that you'll be able to communicate clearly where Coastal stands and why on certain issues as we've covered them. And finally, this morning, as we dive into our text, as the Apostle Paul circles back to elders, I, I wanted to, I want, I'm going to give you your so what right out of the beginning. Here's your so what. Here's your... Here's your conclusion of the sermon. You can know what to expect out of the leadership of Coastal Community Church. Here's your show. That's, that's the application. All right? You can know what to expect out of the leadership of Coastal Community Church. We're going to be going to learn this morning as, as the Apostle Paul comes back to elders. And by the way, Timothy 3 gives us the qualifications. This is not about qualifications of, of someone that can be a pastor or an elder, okay? But rather, now Paul circles back to say, how as the church, how are we to treat our elders? How are we to treat our pastors? How are we to treat our leaders? How are they added? He gives us some insight on how we add a church leader, and he gives us some insight of what do we do if it's necessary to remove a high-level leader in your local church? Bet you didn't know that was in the Bible, did it? Did you? But it's there. So let's start with the beginning, all right? The Apostle Paul talks about how we are to honor our pastors and our elders. There is a level of honor that is due the church leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Now let the elders who rule well. I want you to circle in your handout. I want you to circle the word well. I'm going to come back to that. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. I, I took this out of the ESV here this morning. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the scripture says, you should not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, and, and the scripture says, a laborer deserves his wages. So let me park at the word honored first. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, your elders and your and church, he's really instructing the church at this point, that Timothy's supposed to instruct his church, your pastors and your elders to be honored. They're to be honored in word and they're to be honored in attitude. As a, and we understand that, that this is a high calling. By the way, this is a principle for all leadership, I believe. Your small group leader, our ministry leaders, they're to be honored. We should have a, live, a, me, a measure of thanksgiving, understand that le leadership is difficult. And by the way, let me just challenge you, church. Like, we're, we're about a, a year and a half away from our next presidential election. Like, one of the things that I cannot stand during that time is how 
Christians are hard, hard, hard on their government leaders, especially if it's the one they haven't voted for, right? And we just, we just nitpick them to death. And I want to be cautioning us, even as a church, Romans chapter 13, our job is to pray for our leadership, even in the government. Let's be real cautious we don't get this real critical spirit all the time. Let's be, let's be honest about our country, okay? It's facing some challenges, and you know, different people are going to take different approaches to how the resolution of those challenges. It might not be the way you would take, but man, let's be honoring with our lips, and if you got a gripe, here's the deal. Go up with it. Amen. Gripe to God about it, all right? And be in prayer for our leaders, but we're to honor our church leaders, we're to honor those, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, those who preach and teach. And he says they're worthy of double honor. The idea they're, they're to get, they're, there's to be a level of uh, payment to those who are your preachers and teachers. In fact, the second quote there is, in, is a quote of Jesus, Luke chapter 10, verse 7. I'm going to come back to that. But Paul says, especially, we honor those who are preachers and teachers. Let me tell you something, church. I, um, I've tried to think of an illustration. I, I haven't been able to think of a great one, okay? But, um, you know, preaching and teaching is, is, is difficult. I think anybody, any preacher or teacher of a church that's worth their salt, man, they understand the, the importance of what they're doing. I mean, we just, we just sang about the, you know, I, I don't know what, if, what you heard when we were singing our confession of what we believe, you know, and I, I sang with you guys about, man, I believe in, in the saint's communion, his holy church. Man, it gave me chills. Like, man, this thing that we're a part of, it's eternal. And Pastor Joey did a great job of reminding us last week, like, it's not only is it eternal, but it's a thing that God is doing. And when you, get the, when you have the, the uh, responsibility to teach, whether it's a small group, children, or here on, on the pulpit, I mean, it's a heavy responsibility. And, and you know, I could, you can talk to any of our pastors that do some teaching, man. When you, when you have the opportunity to teach, it just sits in the back of your mind. The only illustration I can think of is years ago, I had this uh, antivirus on my computer called Norton. And I called Norton the big hog, man. It just chewed up so much space, and it made my computer run at the speed of mud, right? You know, it's just so slow. But I always say, man, preaching's like that all week. It's kind of in the back of your mind, and, you know, and you, it's kind of running slowly in your heart. And you're thinking, about, I mean, how do I deliver the truth of the word of God? It's a big deal. Be in prayer for your pastors, your leaders when they preach and teach. Paul says those who rule well. I want you to have you circle the word well, okay, because the idea is, uh, the, the idea is elders give a level of leadership. So there's at Coastal, and again, we've never labeled this, but like in the Presbyterian world, there's there's the lead, there's the elders who give leadership, and then there's the they would call them the preaching and teaching elders. That's probably a good definition for what we call pastors at Coastal, and and so you know, though, but the, but all elders give leadership. The scriptures give us a plurality of leadership, and at Coastal, like we we have, it's a, I always say this is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. I had a we had a church member last week that. You know, he came up to me and he's like, I read the Constitution this week. I was like, you must have been bored, you know, and so, or an engineer, you know, which he was. So, you know, like that's, that's who reads those, right? And, uh, he goes, man, we got, we give a lot of pastoral authority, you know, and I was like, yes, we do. Yes, we do. But, but inside the function of, of, of elder meetings, it doesn't work. That, there's a, there's a tension to manage. Our elders give Pastor Sean a lot of leeway to lead, but Pastor Sean leads heavily into his elders to build for unity, right? 
I want to tell you something. When we decided to relocate and, and move towards purchasing the old Kroger building, new home, Coastal Community Church, we didn't go, hey, let's take a vote and see who should do this. Oh, it's three to two. God must be leading us. No, it doesn't work that way, man. There's a, there's a level of unity together. We work together. We answer the questions that need to be answered, and we pray together, and we go, yeah, we do, you know, all together, we sense this is what God is doing. So that we can stand in front of the church as a, a unified body. And so it's, it's healthy. I always, this is a horrible illustration, but it's like a good marriage, really, okay? I know my elders like, I ain't married to you. But anyway, so but there's a mutual honoring and a support and a listening as well as understanding. We understand we lead the church. We lead God's people. And so the, the emphasis here in the Greek structure is on the word not rule, but on the word well. In other words, pastors and, and elders should be growing in their leadership, I always say this, man, I've learned from my past mistakes, and I will make new mistakes. This week, I realized, man, I made some mistakes or some things I'll do different going forward. I will make new mistakes, but I won't, I'll try very hard not to make my previous ones. You know, we should be, there should be, a, we'll be growing in our leadership so that there's excellence for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. Paul goes on to say that elders who rule well, especially those who preach and teach, are worthy of double honor, okay? If you ever read that, that's, that's the NLT, uh, I mean, that's the... Um, that's the, that's the actual phrase. The NLT literally says they should be paid well. Uh, those who preach and teach should be honored, not just through our thoughts and through our actions, but also financially. You know, we, you know, the goal is not to keep our pastors poor. They should be able to make a living off their leadership, their preaching and teaching as they equip the saints. You know, there's an old preacher's joke uh, where the, the church will often pray, you know, Father... Give us a poor, humble preacher. You keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. You know, it's not biblical, actually. It's not biblical. Um, Paul even quotes Jesus when he sent out his disciples and said, you know, you're worthy of your wage when you go out and you preach and teach and serve the church. Now, with that said, remember I said during this series, there's a lot of tensions to manage. Preacher has to manage the same tension that the Timothy gives. I'm going to teach on this next week, actually. First Timothy 6, verse 7 and 8, kind of instruction to the whole church when it comes to finances. After all, Paul teaches Timothy, we brought nothing into the world, us when we came into the world, and you can't take any of it with us when we leave. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That applies to the preacher, right? There's a, there's a level, by the way, you know, I'll jump ahead a little bit a week, okay? <clears throat> Like, I, this passage challenges me. Because that's not what American culture tells you. You pray the Lord's Prayer? <coughs> Give us this, what? Day, our what? Day I, I probably got two weeks' worth of food at my house, if the truth be told. I mean, if I was starving, I had to use every last bit of my food. I, probably, I, I don't know that I've ever said, God, I... Like, I need food today. I suspect most of us are like that. Now, if you ask my teenagers at about 9 o'clock at night, you'd think we got nothing in the house. There's nothing to eat here, you know? Like, what are you talking about? There's a whole closet full of food, you know? Choose something, you know? But most, like, this is pretty far removed from American culture. And so we live in this tension, right? So Timothy says, pay your pastors well, but we all got to kind of live with what, what is God giving us? Be content in that. And so Paul says, this is how we honor our leaders, all right? The second thing is this, in regards to biblical elders, okay? We have a responsibility to protect our elders. We have a responsibility to protect our elders. And by the way, this is not, 
we're going to get into this in a minute. When I talk about protecting our elders, I'm not, I'm not talking about protecting our elders or in any way covering up sin. And Paul's very clear about that. I'm talking about protecting our elders and our pastors from groundless character assaults. 1 Timothy 5.19, don't listen to the accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, leading a church, and this is why the Ashley Madison thing or why I get so sick over moral failure. Leading a church is a sacred, sacred trust. We talk, and elders meeting, I'm telling you, this comes up almost every meeting where we talk about, man, what, how, ble- how humbled we are to lead Coastal. We understand the responsibility, and as our as the church continues to grow, we just sit back and we're not, there's, there's not a lot of pride and it's actually even more humbling. We go, wow, we got all these people that we are in charge of making wise decisions and leading them well. And church, it's our responsibility to, to while it's the elders' responsibility to understand a sacred trust, right? It, it's our responsibility to make sure that um, we protect the name of our elders if something is groundless. And the Bible does tell us this. It tells us when to investigate because there may be a time where we need to investigate an accusation. And it's when two or three witnesses say, hey, I've noticed this about this person, this leader, okay? And so, you know, and, and the reason it's, it's very clear about two or three is we want to protect our, our leaders from false accusations that are rooted in anger and bitterness out of a, out of a decision that a leader's made. I'm going to tell you something. I, I've, been leading this, I've been leading for 15 years. And there are many times that you make a leadership decision, and in order to protect all parties involved, you will stand in front of key people in your church, and you will say, you need to trust me on this. I'm not going to give you all the information because in order to give you all the information, it's going to belittle other people. And I can tell you without fail, in those times, I get a character assassination every time. Now, this is going to shock some of you. Sometimes it even ends up on Facebook, right? You know, and I have some saved screenshots of things that I look at and go, it's not true. It's just not true. But I can't, you know, I'm not going to defend it, and I'm going to let the Lord defend my name. And I'm going to tell you something. When you lead something, if you lead well and you lead right in righteousness and integrity, and you know, man, I know I'm upright on this, there will be times you will get a character assassination. How do I know that? Did you know that there was a guy who walked the earth that was perfect? He made every decision perfectly. He did every process in getting to the final decision perfectly. And you know what the people did to him? They killed him, Right? And so I'm like, if they kill Jesus, certainly there's going to be times I'm going to make a decision. Maybe I do misstep in the process. Or there's one more meeting I could have had or one more conversation or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, my character's intact. And so we got to make sure that before we attack a church leader that we know that there are two or three witnesses. And, and if there are two or three witnesses, then we do look into it. Then we do investigate, okay? And, the Paul, and Paul gives us how, how we do this. He says, here's how you correct or rebuke an elder. First Timothy Verse 20, those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. Yikes, right? And this will serve as a strong warning to others. And so Paul says, here's how we discipline an elder. All right? If there's, if there's a, number one, if it's a continued sin, the idea of unrepentant sin. I, I believe that there's, there's some sins that even if they're repented of, that, 
require a pastor or an elder to leave leadership, at least for a season, maybe longer. And that's First Timothy 3 stuff. Like, here's, here's the qualifications. Whether it's for a season or whether it's for longer, there's, there are sin that, that a, an elder or church leader has to step down. And so if, if, a, if an elder sins or a pastor sins, it requires, according to Timothy, it requires a public rebuke. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Ready? I'm just in, I'm just Sean Brown's curiosity. How many of y'all have ever heard this taught on in a church? 15? Okay. It's important, church, that we understand that. Like, what, like what, it, how, what does this look like for us? What does this look like for us? It should be a public rebuke. The idea here is church discipline. Pastor Joey did some teaching on this recently in a small group setting. I got to hear him teach it, and I thought he gave a great illustration, so I want to give it to you. He said church discipline is, is not so much that we're angry and, you know, man, it's, it's, it's the idea of our God in Christ has gone to the orphanage. He's in the orphanage. He has plucked you. He has plucked me out of the orphanage. And we are in the car, and we have a new name. We're in Christ, and we're on the way home. And we're on the way home, but guess what? We're still in our rags, and we haven't been washed up yet, but we got the new name. We've been given the name of Christ in his works, credit to our bank account, and we're heading to the glorification. But on the way home, as an orphan, sometimes I'm looking back. Man, that'd be great. Sometimes, sometimes I could even get out of the car and head the wrong direction. And when a person gets out of the car and they head the wrong direction, the idea is Matthew 18 comes in. And Matthew 18, if you don't know, we sit down with a brother. Hey, listen, you're out of the You've got this name. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, you're, heading, you're heading back to the orphanage. God's got way more for you. Get back in the car. And Matthew 18 says if you get back in the car, you've won a brother. Amen. It's done. If the brother goes, no, I'm going back that way, then you come with two or three. And you say, listen, you're, you're going back to the orphanage. Where are you going? Remember, the wages of sin is death. You're heading back to death. We want you to be on the path of life. And if, you, if the person says, you know what, you're right, and they repent, they get back in the car, you've won a brother or sister in Christ. If the person still doesn't refuse to go, no, I'm going back to the orphanage, no matter what, I'm going back to the orphanage, then there's some kind of a public meeting where you say, as a church, you say, you know what, to our knowledge, this person's not a believer. Woo. Do you know that? Matthew 18, I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever, ever, ever misquote this verse around me. Ever. It drives me crazy. Wherever two or three are gathered, what's, what's next? Anybody know? There I am in the midst, right? You ever heard? Where do you always hear that verse quoted? Where do you hear that verse quoted? Worship services and prayer meetings, right? We're going to pray because we know we're two or three are gathered. You know what it's in the context of? Jesus gets on Matthew 18. Ready for this? Whatever you bind on earth will be what? Bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven because wherever two or three are gathered, I'm there. That gives me chills. And I always tell people, I don't know what that means, but it sounds serious, doesn't it? Sounds serious. And I think this very next verse, the Apostle Paul is latching on to and he's teaching us. 
He's teaching us that, man, when, we, when, when an elder with a significant amount of influence is publicly rebuked. And let me, by the way, let me pause on public rebuke, okay? I always say the idea of a public rebuke has to do with the influence of the person. And we teach this in our membership class. If you join Coastal Community Church, part of the big part of that is, is, is this idea of Matthew 18. I always say I don't know how to do Matthew 18 apart from a formal way of membership. That is probably what drives me for formal membership more than anything because I believe in Matthew 18. I believe in accountability, and I don't know how to do it apart from a, some kind of formal membership because as we grow, I'm not sure who I am and am not responsible for it, but I will be responsible for the people say I'm in. Okay? And so... And so Matthew 18, it, to me, it has to do with the, with the level of influence of the person, okay? And, I, and we've done this. And I remember the last time I had to do church discipline, I didn't bring it on Sunday morning in front of three services where half the people, two, no, 90% of the people going, I don't even, who is this person, right? What I did is I brought their small group and their ministries around. I said, listen, this, we've, we've done step one, we've done step two, we've done step three. And I'm just letting you know, like, this person, we've dismissed, they, they can't run around calling themselves a Christian and continue to go back to the orphanage, Okay? on the pathway to death. But if it's an elder, because of a high level of influence, I think Paul's saying, man, it's a public rebuke, and that's important for two things. Number one, okay, why is it important? Because of their level of influence. And number two, there's a sense in all of us, like, wow, they're serious about people that aren't going to continue to journey with Christ. If you're here this morning and and you're a Christian, and you're in a habitual, unrepentant sin. The Bible says this about sin. The wages of sin is what? Why are you going to continue on that path any longer? When are you going to wake up and go, man, this sin is killing me. And it's robbing me of joy. And it's robbing me of hope. And it's robbing me of life. And, and by the way, the greatest scandal of all is it's been paid for by the, by the body and blood of Jesus. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to find freedom in Christ. If we ever get to this process with with a pastor or an elder, uh, literally, Paul says, we call in the audience of heavens, of the heavens. 1 Timothy 5.21, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and and Christ Jesus and the highest angels. Again, I kind of look at that and go, that's a head scratcher to me, but I feel like he's calling in everybody. God and his son and even the angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. A well-known pastor, John MacArthur, said this about this passage. He said, the rebuke of sinning elders must be done with accuracy and integrity. There must be no effort to protect those who are famous or gifted or popular, nor to expose those who are not. Why? Because the heavens are watching. It's a big deal. And finally, Paul gives instructions. So we've called the, you know, we honor our elders. He says, man, if, if an elder's caught in a sin, here's the process. And he says, but here, let's be real clear. Here's how we select our elders, okay? <clears throat> now let's look at the process of selecting elders, because that's what Paul does next, selecting elders. First Timothy 5.22, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Okay, so here, then, uh, so one thing to be clear on: yeah, Paul does not give Timothy super specific instructions of what this looks like. Is there a nominating committee? You know, how's how's this all work? He, does, he doesn't get in the specifics. He gives us big picture stuff. The first thing he teaches us is to be patient. 
Don't rush into appointing a person into leadership. Time, if, if, there's, if you're not sure or if your elder team's not sure, take time. Time will reveal a person's character. In fact, um, the ESV here uses, instead of never be in a hurry, it says don't lay hands too quickly. Laying of hands represents two things. One, it, it symbolizes solidarity and unity. And the second thing is it, 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 it's agreeing that a particular person is set apart for a particular ministry. So Paul says don't be too quick to do that. The second thing is when, we, when, we're, when we're looking for spiritual leaders is, is to be careful of legalism. This can be a very legalistic process. And I think that's why this next verse is here, 1 Timothy 5.23, right in the middle of this selecting of elders, Paul like, says this to Timothy. He says, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. I think Paul's telling, instructing Timothy, you don't have to be legalistic. Timothy had a stomach problem. He should have drank a little bit of alcohol for medicinal purposes. And because he was so fearful of the qualifications of Timothy three, he wasn't drinking any. And he said, you know, Timothy, you don't have to be legalistic about everything. There's this, again, tension to manage. We have to be very careful. We're not legalistic when selecting leaders. And then finally, Paul says, now, a good vetting process is this in verse 24 and 25. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment, but there are others who sin uh, that will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. I think what Paul is teaching us here is, a, is how to have a good vetting process for high-level leaders. We're to be patient, which we've already talked about. We're, give it some, if we're not sure, give it some time. Let me talk, about, talk to you quickly about you know, how are elders selected at Coastal? You know, we just added, we just appointed an elder. How, how are elders selected at Coastal? Um, what's our vetting process, if you will? Well, usually it starts with prayer. Hey, we need to be thinking about a new elder, you know, adding an elder. Maybe, maybe someone stepped off the team, we need to add one, or maybe it's just the church is growing, we want to add some leadership around, around you know, high-level leaders, and we'll start praying. After we're done praying, we'll, we'll, get a, we'll, make, we'll form a list of names of men that we see serving in the church and doing humbly and, and with integrity. And, and after we have the list of names, we'll start praying some more, all right? And I'll tell you what we did last time. We took the list of names, and we prayed, and we all committed a day to fasting. We fasted and prayed over these names. <clears throat> then we got back together, and... We saw if there was any objections. If anybody had an objection with anybody, and if anybody on the team said, you know, I'm, I don't know if this person is ready, man. We just said, you know what, we'll, we'll wait. We'll be patient. The, Timothy and Paul's, Paul tells Timothy, be patient. All right. And then guess what we did next? We prayed some more. And then we, we, we tried to narrow it down to one or maybe two individuals, okay? And then we prayed some more. And then we asked for a resume, believe it or not. We said, give us your resume. And then we prayed some more, all right? Then we, after, we, after we asked for the resume and we felt like the resume was good, then we, then we sent them a questionnaire. And it's a long, tedious questionnaire. And in this questionnaire, I'm looking for three things. I'm looking for doctrinal unity, all right? Make sure we agree on essential doctrines. I'm looking for philosophical unity. I think, believe it or not, philosophy in a church, like how you do things, can be just as divisive as not. You know, so I don't want to bring up an elder. like, man, when are we going to bring back the organ and the piano? Like, nothing wrong with that. It's not going to happen right now at Coastal, okay? And the reason I say right now is our music style may change if we got to reach the culture differently. I'm okay with that. But, you know, if that's what you want to do, you're going to be unhappy with Coastal, and then elders meetings are going to be rough, okay? So let's just not go there. So I'm looking for philosophical unity, all right? And here's the third thing I'm looking for. 
I want to see if we get along. Like, I want to hang out with people I, I enjoy being around. Not yes men by any means, but, you know, can you laugh a little? Can you have dinner at my house? Can we have a good time? Those kind of things. That's what we're looking for. And then we pray. And then we do a background check. And then we pray. And then we call references, both inside and outside the church. And then we pray. And then there's more discussion and prayer. Then we, we interview the person. Then we pray. Then we interview the spouse. And then we pray, all right? And then there's more discussion. And then we think, man, we think we want to put this person in front of the church. What we do is there's not a voting process, but there's an affirmation process. We set this person in front of the church body. And we say, is there, if, the, if you as a church member or tenor know any reason this person shouldn't be installed as an elder, you let us know. And we give that a couple weeks. And then, as you may remember, we do an installation process. It's a long process. Why is it a long process? Here's why, church. Cannot underestimate the importance of leadership. And the church, it's, I'm, I'm trying to guard my words. Okay, I'll say it. I think it rises and falls on this stuff. It's so huge. I, and I, I, my reason I pause, I'm talking about, you know, I understand there's doctrine, there's prayer, and there's a lot of things that go into a healthy church, you know. But, man, your leaders, it's so huge. And by the way, I said this the last couple weeks, if this is your church home, man, you're really blessed. And you're led by some spiritual men that love Jesus and love his church. And it's not a game to them, and it's not political to them. It's about, man, how do we, on, how do we build a healthy church? I, um, <clears throat> this past week, I'm going to finish with this. We'll close with prayer. This past week, I, uh, I think it was Tuesday night. I was at the, uh, the new building, and my family was up there, and we were doing some demo. And uh, <clears throat> there was a, one of our um, men's ministry, one of our men's small groups was up there doing demo. And so there was this large section that had tile that needed to be removed. We needed to get it down to the concrete. And uh, that had begun the Saturday before. I was even a little part of that, you know, with a hammer and chisel, right? And that was super slow and tedious. And I think we rented a couple of machines that were, you know, small kind of jackhammer type machines trying to chisel this stuff up with that. And that was super slow and tedious. And then this men's group found the way to do it quickly. And here's what they did, man. They got about an eight or a 10 pound maul big maul sledgehammer, and they were just beating on this tile, right? And they're hitting, and it's shattering, you know, and dust, and, you know, tile shrapnel going through the place, you know? And then it turned into this kind of testosterone-fueled contest between the men, right? It was great to watch this, you know? And so, you know, the couple young bucks are in there. And what they would try to do is get as many rows of this tile busted up as they could. And they're going down, boom, boom, boom. You know, the young guys come. And then I watched our eldest elder get in there, right? I haven't had a chance to ask him if his back was sore. But he gets in there, man, and, he's, and he, he outdid the 20-year-olds, man. It was impressive, you know? And he goes... And then I watched our executive pastor. Now, for one of the, part of the reasons we brought Pastor Andrew on is, um, you know, if we stand him next to me, like, he, he brings fashion up by a factor of 10, you know. So I watched him take his nice shirt off, you know, and he's down to a T-shirt. And then he's got his Tom shoes, and he's like, boom, you know, and he did great. And then his son went, and then my son went, you know. And all these guys, it's like this sweaty competition, are getting the work done. And then somebody looks at me as if I'm going to join in, right? <laughs> hey, Pastor Sean, why don't you come on in? And so here's what I did. I said, you all win. Okay, I declared them winners. That's important to men. Oh, you win. Okay, I turned in my man card, and I just kept pushing a trash can. Okay, that's, that's how I handled that. So, 
Um, it, demolition is kind of dirty, and it's not fun, and it's just kind of dusty, and it's really important. Like, we, we can't really use that building for the means that we believe God's given it to us for until we demo it some. And it's kind of, and even though we're not digging a foundation, you know, because we're not building from scratch, like, it's kind of foundational to the whole thing. Like, it, if we don't do this well, then, you know, and, and that's where I feel like we are right now, because that's why I taught this sermon today. Like, I, I believe our footprint is going to continue to expand for the glory and fame of Jesus Christ in our community, but we got to know the foundational stuff. And that's why I taught this this morning in church. I want you to know the foundational stuff of Coastal Community Church. And I can tell you this, and I'm going to close with this. Like, I've never, never gotten up ever and thought, man, I want to be a big church. doesn't motivate me. I want to be a healthy church. I want to be a church that knows the, 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 the scriptures well and adjust our lives. I want to be a church that uplifts the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do believe that healthy things grow. But the focus is not big. The focus is on health. And I want to encourage you. I know this was a little, you know, like you may be sitting there like, I'm not an elder, but if this is your church, man, pray for your leaders. There's, there's an enemy. Somewhere along the way, 400 church leaders thought, I'm going to sign up for Ashley Madison. My marriage stinks. That doesn't happen in a moment. That happens over time and neglect. And I want to encourage us, man. I want to build a healthy church because I believe healthy things grow. And our desire is to organize around what Paul has defined for us as biblical leadership so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can effectively go out. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and let's pray? For Coastal's leadership. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the men that serve as pastors and elders of Coastal Community Church. I even see some sitting here this morning that have served alongside of me and life kind of moved them along, but man, they served so well, God. I pray your blessing over them, your protection. I pray that they would put first things first in their lives, meaning that they would they'd worship you, be gripped by your word. The spirit of God lives in them, Lord. Continue to lead and guide them. They'd be men of prayer, men of integrity. Lord, this is foundational stuff. If we build on the wrong foundation, it, it can crumble down pretty quickly. God, I pray that um, each of us in this room, God, we would honor your church as the bride of Christ. Be mindful that our lives have influence. As we're on the car ride home, Lord, would we honor you, pursue holiness and righteousness, realizing that the rags, the orphan rags, they don't, they don't fit us anymore. It's not earning salvation, it's been earned for us, but the, the orphan rags don't fit us. We're, we're being clothed in righteousness and holiness and godliness. Help us as Christians not to settle for the junk that the world says will satisfy us. Help us keep our eyes focused on eternity our home, our new name, 
for the one in this room that right now is settling for way less than you have for them, God. They're, they're settling for the orphanage. God, that they would turn from their sin, they would hate their sin, they would remember the high cost of their sin to the person of Jesus Christ. And flee and worship and know the freedom of worshiping Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. All right, church, if you're a guest with us this morning, I thank you so much for being here. This is our offering time. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal. As a guest, I do want you to know we are not after your money, okay? This is just one of the ways we worship. Um, if, you'd if you'd do us a favor, just uh, use that tear-off, fill that out, drop that in the offering basket, and uh, we're just going to send you a thank you card and a little bit more information about Coastal Community Church. That's all we're going to do with that. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have a prayer need, you'd like to talk to someone and pray with someone. Our, our uh, prayer team members are always here. They're going to come up here in a second, sit in the front row, and uh, they are here to minister to you uh, in any way that you need. And uh, I would just encourage you to make use of them. With that, uh, ushers, would you come forward? And Pastor Joey, would you send us out singing praises to our Savior this morning?
the evil 